Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to another episode here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 188. Well, the U.S. has a team to play against. The GB&I squad has been selected, and as expected, many of the players are attending college right here in the United States. That's where they're playing their collegiate golf. Congrats to former guest Angus Flanagan from Minnesota, Alex Fitzpatrick from Wake Forest. He was on the team in 2019. He's back at it again. The team looks good. I'm sure on paper it might look like the U.S. team is the favorite if you just want to strictly go by Wagger. But, you know, it's like that two years ago, and the GB&I squad was leading heading into the final day. You can look at all the stats, rankings, make all the predictions you want, but they're still playing Seminole Golf Club in May. So who really knows what's going to happen? Speaking of Seminole, that is where I spent my Monday, because the USGA invited me to take part in the Walker Cup Media Preview Day. Very appreciative to be included in this special day. Got to reconnect with Tyler Strafacci and Stuart Hagestad. And then I got to play the golf course itself with none other than Captain Nathaniel Crosby. Yep, that was my Monday. We uh, we had some good shots. We had some bad ones. We uh, both birdied our final hole. Had a beer after the round. Um, yeah, just a great day. He's a handful, but uh, so much fun. The course looks great. The greens are fast, but they will probably be faster. And they are doing a ton of work to make sure that everything is in perfect shape for the Walker Cup. Now, it's going to be televised on NBC, but if you have the opportunity to go, why wouldn't you? Well, before you make your plans, you're going to need a ticket. Now, the USGA finally announced the information about tickets for the Walker Cup. There are going to be a limited number of tickets available. There are no single-day passes. They're just trophy club ticket packages that will be available on april 1st i'm not kidding they'll be available on thursday morning april 1st at 10 a.m eastern you need to go to walkercup.org now due to covid restrictions they're only selling these three-day trophy club packages you get a practice round ticket and then a ticket to the competition day on the 8th and the 9th the tickets go for five hundred dollars The $500 ticket package includes complimentary parking as well as all food and beverage located on the grounds of Seminole Golf Club. I have no idea how many tickets are going to be sold. I don't know if there's a limit to how many you can buy. I'm choosing to think positively. So be in front of your computer or phone on April 1st. This Again, not a joke. Be in front of your computer on April 1st. Try to get some tickets. They are going to go fast. Just a few housekeeping items before we get to this week's guest. Um, I have a few episodes banked that I need to get released before we go all in on Walker Cup episodes. I have some former Walker Cup captains lined up, players competing in this year's match at Seminole, and of course, you know, I'll have a couple surprises along the way. If you were listening to the back of the range back in 2019, you'll remember that I did a Walker Cup series of episodes called The Road to Hoy Lake, so I'll be doing something very similar to that. April is going to be a lot of fun with tons of content, so get ready. Need to get ready for the Masters. I'm going to be out on the road to cover a couple tournaments. It's going to be busy, so stay subscribed. Keep sharing this podcast with your friends and leave reviews in Apple Podcast. As always, it is most appreciated. The merch store, it is still open. I'm out of face coverings, but I should be getting them back in the next week or so. Still have plenty of hats. Shirts are always available. Go check out the merch options at thebackoftherange.com. Now, this week, we have a bit of a wild card of a guest. He does have some ties to the Walker Cup, actually. His co-host was a member of the victorious 2007 Walker Cup team. Some would say it's the best team ever assembled. But my guest this week is Drew Stoltz, co-host of Golf's Subpar Podcast, You might know him a little bit better by his nickname, Sleaze. This was a fun episode for me to record because I rarely get to speak to people in the golf podcast media space, but we spoke about how golf is covered, maybe how things should be changed, how he actually got into this media space, you know, 
Truthfully, we just shared some great stories about players like John Rahm and Spieth and Fowler. It was interesting to get some time with Sleaze because while they mainly speak with professionals on their podcast, and I'm more focused on amateurs here at the back of the range, we both share a similar approach to covering the game. We try to bring out different stories and show a unique side to the players we are covering. So if you aren't listening to Subpar, go give it a listen. Enjoy this episode with Drew Stoltz, the Sleaze. Sleaze, welcome to the back of the range. How are you, sir? Oh, Benny, great to be with you. I know we've been trying to make this happen uh, for a few weeks now, so glad to finally be with you. I Well, you know, it's okay. I know. I love the back and forth that we've had. It's been full of uh, inappropriate pictures and memes and late <laughs> night texts, but I love the fact that we we were delayed, but that's okay because you went, uh, had to take a little R&R, go on vacation to, uh, to the Big Island, to Hawaii, and I got a bone to pick before we get into some topics here. I was promised some drunken pictures of you on vacation in Hawaii that I could <laughs> hold over your head. That never happened. Did you Did you get amongst it? See what I did there? Did you get amongst it? Oh, I like that. See? I like what you're doing. See, see, see you're a pro. See, that's, see I, I mean, hey, I bought this microphone at Radio Shack for a reason. But what? Uh, what tell me, what did you get into in Hawaii that you could possibly share? I don't want too much debauchery but i mean you know how was the vacay in hawaii well yeah this trip was a little bit different i definitely did get amongst it but this was more of a, a relaxation trip as opposed to some of the other ones uh, that i go on with with buddies playing golf or to vegas or whatever so this one was more designed for uh relaxing and i told myself going down there i was like just gonna chill hang out do nothing just kind of just kind of unplug for a little bit and then sure enough you know eight o'clock comes around i did have some other friends uh, down there and, um, you know, you start drinking one leads to another. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up the next morning feeling like shit. And I'm like, well, the good news was at least I don't have anything to do today. You know what I mean? Right. Oh no, I gotta, I gotta drag my ass to the pool and lay around for a while. Like that, that's not too bad. So it was pretty mellow by most accounts. Um, one or two nights there where, where, and that's the problem too, with Hawaii is like all these drinks you're drinking, like, Hey, can I get you a Mai Tai or a, daiquiri or whatever and like you want to have some of these tropical drinks because you're down there but they're so sweet and just loaded with sugar that yeah. it's like the worst hangover in the world you know what i mean like there's no worse hangover than like a mai tai hangover and yeah. i never drink those but when i'm down there i'm like shit you know when in rome i'll, have, yeah. I'll, I'll drink a daiquiri and then wow that was pretty good you don't even taste the booze it's like you're drinking a slurpee and then the next thing you know you stand up and you're like holy shit uh those hit pretty hard and then the next morning you feel like complete death so uh it was mostly chill i didn't get into a whole lot it was just kind of it'd been a while since got out of town to just shut down with not being with work or something so um yeah it was a nice little recess in my youth i had uh, several uh, escapades down to jamaica and that sounds exactly what i was dealing with down there where every day was the same a lot of sweet drinks and waking up just not being able to feel anything and uh yeah those get dangerous so yeah Go down there to relax, and I end up getting on the plane home on a red eye, feeling like death. I'm like, well, this didn't really, this didn't, I feel worse than when I got here. This was a talk about your all-time backfires. Yeah, oh, man, that's awesome. Well, you are a co-host of uh, Subpar, great golf podcast. Uh, I, we were just talking earlier how you know the only other golf podcaster I had uh, on on the back of the range is uh, is your co-host Colt Nost. So. Um, I feel like I'm finally talking to the brains of the operation. I mean, that's there you go, see, Ben. See, see, you get it. Nice of you to recognize. See, so you're speaking to a pro, I knew you. I knew you know what you're talking about. Of course, if if you're the brains, is he the beauty? No, that's that, a, that's a good question. TBD. He's kind of the wild card. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. He's, what, the, he's the he's the utility guy. I understand. He's the Jose Akendo of uh, golf podcasts. So he exactly. So he um. So on your podcast, you're spoken to a lot of professionals, and then you, know, you also have a lot of different personalities whether they're baseball players now you just had george brett and you've had uh, you know basketball football players on mine focuses on a little bit more of as you know the amateur game and collegiate side but also bring in some people here and there even had to bring in a streaker a long time ago but kind of, <laughs> kind of a rite of passage um i have to ask this question which i asked every guest how did you actually get into the game of golf i know you're doing a lot of media now but you did play professionally we'll yeah. touch on that but how did you actually get into the game back in colorado yeah, I grew up in Colorado and actually growing up, you know, I played pretty much every sport Like with the winners in Colorado. You, you didn't have the option to play golf through the winter or things like that. So I had to find other things to do as a young kid in the winter. I played basketball. Uh, basketball was a big sport of mine growing up, played soccer for a while until I started to 
not like that as much. And I pretty much played everything. And my dad was a big golfer, loved going out to the course. And so when I was a young kid, all I wanted to do was run around. Like, you know, I, I played everything but golf, basically. All I want to do was run around, hit things, shoot, whatever, be yeah. active. And so when my dad would go out, his like, you know, I guess his carrot to get me to go out to the course was like, hey, I'll let you drive the cart. And so I was like, oh, well, that's fun. I'll, I'll ride the cart. So uh, or I'll drive the cart. So I had some clubs and things like that. And the more he dragged me out there, of course, I'm, you know, throwing balls down, hitting drivers as hard as I can and then racing him. You know, I'll race you to my ball and he's driving the cart and I'm running and stuff like that. But the more and more I did that, the more and more I got into it. And starting at about age 12 is when uh, I really started. I fell in love with it. It was like, you know, your standard, you, you just get hooked overnight. And from about age 12, golf became my favorite sport i still played basketball even all the way through high school just because i i had to with the winter um but that's when i really really fell in love with it and starting in about seventh grade i would say i was in seventh grade uh the year tiger in 97 when tiger won the masters and that's when that like put me over the edge oh, yeah. like this is it that was the first time golf became cool too right you know what i mean like golf was never cool no. like if you could play a different if you could play any other sport but golf you know, that's what you did. Like, the dudes on the golf team in high school at that time were guys that weren't good at anything else. So right. they picked golf. You know what I mean? Now it's completely different where you got guys that could play baseball or could play basketball or whatever. You know what I mean? You've seen real athletes play golf. But that's when I really fell in love with it. It was about 97. I was in seventh grade and I was like, this is it. And from that point on, golf was my main focus, even though I, I still played some other stuff in the winter based, you know, out of necessity, really. Yeah, these young kids now have really no idea what it was like back then because now it's cool. Now it's, you know, it, it's a popular thing. And back then, no, the people would basically join the golf team when they couldn't make it in the chess club. I mean, it just, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you, I mean, great success in high school and then, you know, picked up a, a state amateur title in Colorado in 04. And Strangely enough, uh, or coincidentally, you uh, you know played collegially at TCU. I just got back from Dallas covering the TCU team at uh, Trinity Forest in SMU's tournament. So kind of kind of odd that uh, we're talking right about now when your co-host is an SMU guy. And that's right. If I was talking to a young Drew Stoltz now that was on the TCU team, um, as I do with other collegiate players right now, but, but if I was talking to a young Drew Stoltz playing at TCU, what would maybe be one story that you couldn't share then, but you can share now? Mm, wow. That's a good question. Um, I will say, so our coach down there at TCU, Bill Monaghel, he's been there for still there. forever. He was there Just a so long time before I got there and he's still there today. Yep. He, he uh, started off as like a basketball coach. That was his thing. And he kind of slid into the golf coach role there at some point and really didn't know a whole lot about golf, but he, he followed kind of the, the blueprint that some of the great college coaches that were out there at that time were doing. So that's like coach Knight at UNLV, uh, Bruce Hepler, coach Holt, you know, at Georgia tech coach Holder at Oklahoma state. I think he took all of their, kind of philosophies and combined it into what he did. So he was a huge stickler for time. I mean, if you were, you could be a, it was a seven o'clock workout and you were there at six fifty nine, but you were the last guy, like you're late you're and late. you got, you had to run stadiums and you had to do whatever. So punctuality never being my strongest suit. That was a, that was a, a tough deal for me, but I can remember this. This is a, this is a good story. It was my, I registered my first year. So this was my first year of eligibility as a freshman we were going to Georgia Tech's tournament up in, um, what's it, Dalton, up in Dalton, um, up there. Great tournament, all, a lot of the best teams uh, in the country. We had played one event on the season already, and we won that golf tournament. So we were the number one ranked team in the country at the time. And, th and I'm making my debut at Dalton, right? I was playing as an individual uh, that week because if the team wins the tournament, that same team travels. Sure, sure. So I was coming in as an individual and it was like, it was the practice round day and it's my first one. I'm all geeked up. I'm excited. I can't wait to get out there. And it was something like, all right, band leaves at seven 30 in the morning tomorrow. Right. And you knew don't be late. Don't, you know, that's like the big no, no. Sure. And I was, I was rooming with one of my good buddies who had played in the, in the tournament before he was one of our better players. He was my roommate that week. So I was like, um, all right, dude, you set the alarm, you do all the stuff. I'm just going to follow your lead. You know what I mean? You, you make sure I'm on time and do all this stuff. I'm just going to do whatever you do. Whenever you start getting ready, I'll start getting ready. So we go to sleep that night and we wake up in the morning to just a banging on the door. And I'm like, what the hell? So I look over and I look at the clock and it's like 10 minutes past when we were supposed to be in the van. Oh. And me and my buddy are still sleeping in our bed. 
And our coach, get, our, I, we raced to the door and our coach was like, Van's leaving, get your ass to the golf course. And I was like, what do we do? There was no Uber or anything at the right. time, right? So we like raced, we got dressed, we had to call a cab, which took forever to get out. There's not just cabs cruising around Dalton, Georgia, you right, know what I mean? Right. We got in a cab, we shuttle up. As we're shuttling up to the golf course, we see our team, you know, we see the rest of our team on like whole whatever they were on, you know, they're on their second or third hole of the day already. We race out of the van, jump on the, on the, uh, on the team. And my coach didn't talk to me for like the entire, I mean, it was my oh. first tournament. Here we are, number one team in the oh, country. Brutal. And I missed the van and I never lived it. Like for the rest of the, the rest of my time at TCU, it was just always riding me about being on time. But anyway, it's like nothing crazy. I got in trouble and I had to run and do all the stuff, but it was just like a, not the best way to start off your college career, especially for like, that's the one thing you can do to get under his skin. Oh yeah. And uh, it didn't take me long to, to lower the expectations for me going forward. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> guessing that's gotta be just the sickest feeling walking in and you know, your team's out there. And even if they're, I mean, I'm sure they're your boys and everything's good, but still you're like, oh, I see, I feel like such a shit right now. Oh yeah. Especially like the fact that they were, we were ranked number one yeah. here I am first tournament ever freshman just like it just happy to be playing and i'm the one like messing up the whole juju you know what i mean so yeah oh gosh yeah that's that is a brutal one you um so you you play tcu and and you turn pro as you know most you know solid players of d1 schools i mean that's why you're going to a d1 school you want to eventually transition to playing professionally and we're going to definitely talk about the media side but you played on the mini tours you did make it to the show and playing a pga tour event um so you have tons of experience of different tours, you know, whether it's you know Canada playing the web. And I don't think I've ever asked this question, but obviously these tours are not set up for anyone to actually stay there and make a living. Like you're, they, you know, you want to get the hell out of there. You want to get to the uh-huh. tour, but where, what is maybe one of the, I guess one of the tours that you played that if you actually could make a living on that tour with the way it was set up with the different stops and the people you met, is there any tour that even if you made 60, 70 grand a year, which, you know, isn't a lot, but still, you know, that's not bad for a 24 year old. Uh, is there any tour that you would have stayed on or would have been maybe enjoyed just a little bit more? I'll tell you where I really enjoyed playing. When I look back on my playing career and where I had like the most fun playing, I played a, a good number of years in Canada. And my first few years up there, I'd gotten to be friends with a lot, a couple buddies I was close with in college. And then some new guys that I met playing in Canada, but that tour up there in Canada, I, I loved it. I thought the tour was run really well. The money was dog shit. You right. Could not, I mean, unless you were winning everything, you made no – I think it's the hardest dollar in professional golf at the time. You know what I mean? Right. Given the caliber of players and the amount of money that was being paid out. But so for, for about two or three years straight, there was a little group of us that played up there. A few guys ended up graduating to the – you know, Web.com, Corn Ferry, and then to the PJ Tour. But it was myself – one of my best friends in the world is Andres Gonzalez, who is a good friend of mine. He played at UNLV. You know, yep. he ended up getting to the PJ Tour. He's playing Corn Ferry right now. One of my other closest buds, uh, Graham Dillette. Yeah, we were all traveling together, so Graham was up there. Of course, we know what Graham, you know, has done in his career. He turned out to be a stud. Another good buddy of mine named James Love, who is a great player, yeah. uh, Canadian guy from Alberta. Um, we and um, so basically that those four guys. And maybe there would be one guy who would kind of cycle in and out for a week or so. But those us four traveling through Canada, you know, young pros trying to make it anytime somebody had success. We all had, you know, like if one of us finished second and we got a check, it was like, boom, we're going out tonight. And this guy pays for everything. Nice. We were partying, having a good time. I don't even know if anyone was married at the time. So we were running around doing whatever we wanted. It was just like it was really cool because all of us were were extremely competitive we all wanted to get to the next level we all wanted to play beat each other every single week but there was like a genuine all of us rooting for each other you know if one of us was in contention the other two or three would come out and watch for the last five or six holes and root for us if somebody won it was like the biggest sell you know it was like we'd won the lottery and things like that and and also just being around good players like that you learn so much and you see how they handle themselves and like that was just one of the coolest times for me it was my first time traveling internationally you know for an entire summer more or less, you know, 10 events or so um, going across that country, seeing all of Canada and also just the dudes I was with. I mean, we had so much fun. Some of the most fun was like driving from one event to the next and we had a three hour drive. You know what I mean? Just like being with your boys. It's like when guys get out of a different sport and like, what do you miss the most? They're like, man, the locker room, yeah. the plane rides and stuff like that. Like that, that time in Canada for me. That was my time like that, just with those guys. And, it, and that's what made it even cooler to see, you know, a few of those guys go on to, to have the careers that they ha- that they did. Because 
just it shows you like you never know who's going to do it, you know, and, and that you are good enough and that, that sometimes as far away as you feel from maybe playing on television on Sunday on a PGA Tour event, like the line is extremely fine. Um, but it, that those times up in Canada, those few years specifically traveling with those guys was probably the most fun I ever had. Yeah, I had Dan McCarthy on the podcast who had that one. Mm-hmm. What was that? I think it was, um, excuse me, I think like 2016 or something where he like won four tur- tournaments in a row. He killed it. I think that was my first year after I'd stopped playing. I think okay. that was his next summer, but I still kept tabs on it, you know, and he was just having a monster year up there. Yeah, he just was, it just was his tour for like a month. And, and even the money that he won, which, you know, it, it looked great on paper, but it was almost like, man, that's a lot of winning for not a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And that's a guy that's, that's killing yeah, that's, everybody. Right, I mean, exactly. you could, it was to the point where like you could make the cut in a field that was, I mean, it was pretty comparable to Corn Ferry Tour in terms of making the cut. And, you know, maybe a shot higher on the corn on the on Canada than it would be on the corn ferry tour at the time but like you had to play golf you know to play on the weekend and you could finish you know towards the bottom of the pack and actually lose money on the week you could make the cut like the last place checks I remember having a shitty week one or bad weekend one weekend and I got my check it was my first year playing up and I was like is this a joke like this didn't even cover my hotel you know or hotel for the week like my portion of it I mean it's just it was slim pickings and it's gotten better. And now obviously at least, you know, top five guys get to the corn Ferry tour yeah. and all that, but it's still not a lot of money no. it's, and it's an expensive tour to play too. Yeah. Cause it's just all the travel and just all the, the travel and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's some lonely and cold drives. I'd imagine on that tour. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't, without know. question. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I'm, we're, 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 I don't want to race through your career and, and get to the media side, but I know that a lot of people right now are, are following subpar listening to it every every single week and uh right now i'd say it's fair to say that's what you're you're known for and when you transition from playing to getting into kind of the golf media space i'm thinking okay you know who are the people you kind of want to hit your wagon to who are the people that can maybe you know let you know teach you the ropes of how to navigate the you know the political and the complicated waters of getting you know getting to a spot where you can cover golf as, as a profession and you hit your wagon to Gary McCord. <laughs> well, that is a wobbly wagon, bro. I was going to say. That is a wobbly all, wagon. I mean, I mean, of all the people, I'm thinking Gary McCord. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is a guy you talk to and you kind of, you know, learn the rope, so to speak. And I know you guys, you know, were uh, had events you are going to work on, but then, you know, kind of stalled a little bit. And then you got going with, with your Sirius XM uh, show. But I guess my question about McCord is, you know, for people that maybe are a little too young to remember, you know, a fixture on CBS, but also was, you know, basically told by Augusta National, yeah, your services at this institution are no longer required because of a, you know, a little comment about the greens that they were so fast they were actually bikini waxed. And and, and I guess my question is, you'd think that that would hurt his career. But the more I think about McCord, it kind of separated and differentiated him. And he found himself a nice little pocket, you know, with him and Costas, where this is the outlier. This is the, the you know, comedy relief kind of would lead into what maybe Faraday did. When you look at that, is that a direction you think you want to go in? Or is it almost like, okay, I saw what happened to McCord. You know, how do you look upon his career and how maybe it translates to where you want to take yours? Well, you make a very good, well, A, like you said, getting to know Gary McCord. And he, instantly when he and I met out here at the at Whisper Rock, we became close buddies. He's he's a guy that I feel like is so um, unique in the golf space in that people underestimate how difficult that job is, that oh. on-course broadcast. Because you are... I mean, you might have a stretch where you're literally on the mic and, the, and all you've talked about for the last five shots is a guy tapping in a three footer and you got to say something about it and you got to say it differently than you just said it 15 seconds ago. And you got to try to keep attention. I mean, golf can be boring to watch, yeah. but when you're having to explain the golf that's going like, that's a tough role. And I think that there are very, very few people out there who can add something who can be informative. Like they, they clearly Gary knows the game of golf. He played on the PGA tour. He's really, really good. But he's also very funny. He's more, I would say Gary McCord is a golf personality before I would say he's a golf broadcaster analyst. And that's what I, I'm hoping to be in my career. I think there's a lot of guys that can see golf, say golf, 
tell the yardage, which way the wind's blowing. Hey, he wants, he's looking to pitch this in the front third of the green. It's going to, you know, the greens are firm. It's going to bounce back there. I don't think there's a lot of guys out there that make golf fun to listen to. Um, and I think that's what Gary McCord is. And I think there's a lot of other avenues out there other than uh, television broadcast where people want to have stuff like that. That's kind of what we're trying to do with, with golf subpar. When this idea was first pitched to me through a, a friend of mine, I kind of laid out exactly what I want to do. And I was like, look, there's so many cool dudes in golf and in other sports, but the only time people hear them talk are on TV after a round and they go through their same robotic yeah. generic, you know, one shot at a time, this and that. I'm like, this dude's hilarious. I was just with this guy last weekend and he was, he's a right. Like we need to bring, we need to show the personality of these guys. And that's kind of what we're doing with subpar. And like, ultimately whatever happens in the golf world with me, um, do I have interest in being like an analyst on television? I don't necessarily know that I do. I feel like that you're kind of, um, there's some guys that are really good at it. Um, but you're kind of almost like a, you're a waiter, right? You're, you're presenting what is being, sure. you know, what's, what's in front of you, right? Here's, it doesn't, there's not a lot of room to work outside of the box there when you're like, all right, here, here's Joel Damon on seven, go, bam. You know what I mean? Like you're going to say exactly what's going on with Joel Damon and maybe try to add a few tidbits and that's it. But I would like to, hopefully whatever avenues you know i go down i would like to be branded more as like a personality first and then someone who can speak on golf because the, i don't have the career on the pga tour that some right. of these other guys do coming into television right and immediately you get your bait your your opinions are almost based on your resume you know what i mean if right. one guy says one thing about somebody and then somebody with a better pga tour career says something different it's like all right well the guy with the better career trumps the guy you know the, whether or not it's true or not, you know what I mean? So like, I don't necessarily like that. Cause it's like, if you're going to do that, then no one's opinion matters on shit. Let's just go ask Jack Nicholas what he thinks. Okay. And then ultimately that's the opinion that matters. Cause right. it can go all the way up the board. Right. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily know if I want to be in that space. Um, but I want to do something like personality. -wise. I honestly like comedy is my favorite thing. So I just want to do something like I'm trying to do things that involve the two things I like the most, which is sports and golf and comedy um, and trying to find a, a mesh between those things. Well, anything we could do to make golf funnier and uh, more inter more entertaining, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, I think there's something there. Since you and I <laughs> were mentioning, like you and I texting, trying to get this, get get uh, some time to talk. Since you and I started texting back and forth, I think a handful of things happened on the PGA Tour, and I'm probably missing a few. But just uh, in no particular order, you have JT's uh, hot mic incident. Uh, mm -hmm. Spieth woke up. Patrick Reed's, uh, you know, uh, picking up his golf ball in the rough. Yeah. Bryson wins, you know, at, uh, at just wins at API. Tiger uh, gets into his car accident. Um, obviously, um, when, when all these things are occurring, as someone that's plugged in and has a lot of contacts uh, like yourself, I know I'm getting text messages and tweets and stuff like that about, you know, what do I think of this and that. Is there one that you were just getting completely blown up on? Like, have you seen this? And what do you think of that? I mean, w which one maybe has captured your attention the most maybe in the last month well i mean that when the tiger news broke we had yeah, literally just yeah, got, we had just a, gotten uh, off the air of our radio show and i started getting texts is this true did you hear about tiger and i'm like what you know we did we literally just put our headsets down i hadn't heard anything and in the next hour i probably got 50 you know and then the stories were being um verified by other news outlets and it actually became true and that was more just like a shock because that, oh, was, yeah. that was the last thing i think any of us were expecting to hear it was almost like uh you know, you can remember where you were. It's not clearly it's not to this extent, but sure. um, where you were when 9-11 happened. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Or the first time that this happened with Tiger with the fire hydrant. Right. Right. Like I can kind of remember where I was when all that happened. It was just one of those things. It's a quick reality check for you. A quick perspective check. Like, holy shit. You know, we went from, hey, you know, yesterday we saw him talking with Jim Nance. Are you going to play the Masters? And it didn't sound good. And we were all sad about that. Then it turned into like, will Tiger walk again real quick? You know, those are two very different things there. So that one got a ton of attention, but dude, the Patrick Reed picking up the ball, the drop incident. I mean, if, if Patrick Reed even touches his hand to the ground right now, it's going to make news. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? People are just looking. And then there was something last week at Bay Hill where they had a, you know, 10 X zoom in on him and he was supposedly moving some stuff behind his ball, but nobody really saw anything move. And it was just kind of matting down the grass. And it's just like, that guy's going to be under the microscope forever if i was his caddy or in his camp i'd be like dude do not touch the ground your hands don't go below your knees unless you're teeing up a golf ball uh and b if you are ever having a ruling that involves lifting your golf ball you don't do anything until a rules official gets there. he yeah. needs to just operate he's like whether it's fair or not and i think it is fair 
he is viewed as guilty until proven innocent in the eyes of the golf world right now. Yeah. And any like rules in front where there's any gray area, it's like, oh, Patrick Reed cheated or Patrick Reed's trying to, you know, game the system or whatever. He's going to be viewed like that from this point forward. And I think it's well-deserved. Uh, um, there's a reason that he's like that and no, and nobody questioned Rory when he had the same exact situation on, you know, 18 yeah. that week at Torrey and he picked his ball up. Nobody questions Rory's integrity. Patrick doesn't have those same, um, he doesn't get that same benefit of the doubt. And uh, yeah, the Patrick Reed thing, man, like anything he does uh, is going to be news. But I think he, dude, I honestly I, think he loves it. I, think I he was just it. Say, he wants to be the villain. Uh, like, you know, when we saw him at the pre- the President's Cup in Melbourne this last year, and like he made a putt. By the way, he was like two or three down in his match, and he made a putt, and someone was heckling him, and he, he mimicked a, a shovel motion with his putter. Yep. You know, they, like you don't do, you don't egg people on unless you enjoy that. And I think Patrick Reed's to the point now where, he understands his reputation. He's like, you know what? If I'm going to be the villain, then I'm going to be the villain. Yeah. And, that is what, and I think it fuels him. I think nobody uses that fuel better than, than he does. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, everything you said, I completely agree with. I don't think you're ever going to see, if people are waiting for Patrick Reed to be like, oh, shit, you caught me. You're right. I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. You got mm-hmm. me. He ain't going to do that. He wants, no, I mean, he wants to own that. Yeah, he's had every chance to apologize, even after the first incident down at Tigers, you know, with the with the sand. It's like he never once was he's like, yep, that was bad. He's like, oh, it's the camera angle. Oh, it was this. I had no idea that was happening. You know, there's never been a full blown. I'm sorry, you know, or anything like that. And I don't think you should expect one anytime soon, regardless of what happens. Because this won't be the last thing that makes waves with Patrick Reed. Like I said, anytime he takes a drop, every camera is going to stop and they're going to go straight to Patrick Reed's drop. Yeah, even I, if he's in nineteenth place. Yeah, and and the way the thing that I really hated so much. First of all, I don't care. I mean, well, I I guess I care because of the integrity of the game, but I don't. I'm you're never going to get that moment from Reed. So when I see the Golf Channel or other entities just going nonstop on this, like it's that's all they're talking about. I wish that it was covered in a different way. I also wish they were covering more of the players instead of, like I said, kind of hitching their wagon or or just doubling down on one narrative. Like I remember AT&T with Spieth coming in, leading into the final round. All the pregame stuff on Golf Channel was like, okay, there's Spieth on the putting green, and there's Spieth hitting wedges on the range, and now he's at seven iron. Now he's hitting driver. What does this mean if he wins? What does it mean if he doesn't win? Is he back? Yeah. If he wins, is he is he the – and and it's all Spieth all the time. And then it's like, hey, Daniel Berger won. So next week, we're I mean, it's like – we're missing yeah. these opportunities to capture all. Like you mentioned, Joel Damon. Not, I'm kind of rambling, but you mentioned Joel Damon. You know how Damon, when he misses a cut, he tweets out to people in the area, "Hey, I'm looking for a uh-huh. game on Saturday." Why isn't Damon being interviewed on Friday afternoon after he misses a cut? Like, hey, uh, where are you going to play this week? You missed the cut because you know he would find it. He wouldn't be upset about that. He would be like, "Hey, I'm I'm bringing this on myself. This is funny." Like, hey, where are you playing Saturday? We're, you know, why don't we do that? Yeah, it would be much better. Te- I can tell you it'd be much better television if you did, if you got some of these guys yeah. that, are, that don't get the media attention that everyone else do. But also when they do get the chance, they shine because they actually give real honest answers and they're not afraid right. to make fun of themselves as opposed to some of these press conferences that, I mean, honestly, at this point, minus a couple guys, I'm like, what's the point of even interviewing these dudes? They go through them every week. None of them like doing them. Like, like and I love Dustin Johnson to death. I, I I, oh yeah i love everything about dustin johnson kind of his anti you know modern day golfer yeah um attitude that he has but like honestly what's the point of interviewing dustin before a tournament he's not gonna it's just a <laughs> it's a waste of television you know what i mean that's no offense to dustin he's just not gonna say much that's just who he right. is so and and like the speed thing it's like yeah the entire hour leading up to the coverage is all jordan that goes to my point of like being one of these guys in the booth in the studio it's like all right What's what am I going to say now on this third segment about Jordan Speed that hasn't already been said 17 times before this? You know what I mean? Like, let's get off. The, there's just no room to run with that. Um, but there are like, you know, a hand, like Bryson DeChambeau. If he does something, guess what? It's going to be all, it's going to be all Bryson all the time on the Golf Channel. If Patrick Reed does something, it's going to be all Pat. You know, like there's a handful of guys that, that dominate all the headlines. Yeah, and and you had you uh we, we you mentioned earlier uh, before we started uh, recording that you know the way you kind of navigate through some of your episodes i know that you do a lot of things you know in arizona but then you'll get on the road with colt and you'll try and line up a handful of guys in one city and just kind of knock three or four out and you did that down here in florida where i believe you had uh, jt you had ricky and you had jordan 
and you got three guys that probably your listeners are wanting to know why you didn't ask Spieth about his, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know if you call it a slump or whatever you want to call it. but Yeah, know, his struggles, yeah. So, yeah. So, so why didn't you hit upon that? And then why didn't you ask Ricky? I mean, you guys did ask Ricky a little bit about, like, hey, is your career success if you don't win a major? But, like, mm-hmm. these are all the questions that are always asked of these guys all the time. And, it, it, I mean, take a little effort to think outside the box, and that way we get to know them as players and as people and not just as, hey – well, Jordan, what's wrong? And hey, Ricky, what's wrong? And all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that like we make a conscious effort going in. It's like I'll use Jordan Speed for an example. We interviewed him during, I guess, it was pre, you know, the last month or so where he's where he's come out of his shell and he's playing great golf. But he was in the middle of like struggles and it was leading up to Augusta and everybody wanted to know what was going on. And for the last three months at every single tour stop Jordan Smith went to, guess what the questions were? Jordan, what's going on with your driver? Jordan, what are you doing differently? Jordan, what are you working on with your teacher? Blah, blah. I mean, he's given the same answer 5,800 times. So when we get down there, we have an hour or so with Jordan Smith. Like, I'm not going to ask that question to him. He's answered it 800 times. He doesn't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it because I've already heard it 72 times on TV. So when I, we got some tweets after that, like, I can't believe you didn't ask Jordan about his struggles. I was like, do me a favor right now. Go to Google, type in the name Jordan Spieth, and click on the first article that you go to, and it'll have quotes from him talking, saying exactly what he would have said on our show. Like, I don't want to do that. I would rather hear a story about Jordan Spieth at the University of Texas or growing up as a – like, something that hasn't been heard before. That's kind of our aim to – or at least my aim, I guess I would say, on our show is like, yeah, we're going to hit the hot topics most of the time. If there's something pressing that's going on with one of our guests, like, we're going to talk about it. Well, I want to know the guy but the, that, that isn't the guy that gives the Golf Channel interviews. That, you know what I mean? That isn't the guy in the media tent on a Thursday after his round. Like, let's, let, let's see these guys actually open up. And the more you can talk about stuff that they haven't talked about a million times and things that they want to talk about, the more they're going to open up and, and give to you. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, our aim is not to, not to be that. I would rather not do the shows at all than to just go in and ask those generic questions over and over because these guys just shut off they don't want to answer it and i quite i don't want to ask it i don't even like they already know the answer before it comes well and you also have a little bit of a a line that you have to kind of navigate because a lot of the guests that you're bringing on they're they're friends and it's kind of similar to what i have i've gotten to know a lot of these these young amateurs and you know mid-ams and you know they're you become friendly with them and you you want good stories and you want entertaining content for your episode but you also need to kind of be careful and, and just, you know, not get into the typical rut of asking the same old stuff or also getting into topics that you know they don't want to go. And why put them in a position where they're just going to give you the same old, you know, stock answer that truthfully has wasted their time and yours and your listeners. Exactly. And, and you mentioned it, like, we're lucky enough that I would say 90% of our guests, like we either both know really well, or at least one of us, and we have stories we can draw on from personal experiences. And, hey, remember when we were playing the Jicky Jackson this year? Tell that story, you know, like with Joel Damon or something like that. Yeah. And, and every single time we release a new interview and it comes out, the, the responses that I get the most on social media are, oh, my God, that was an incredible story about this. Yeah. Holy shit, I couldn't believe this story. But it's all these stories that no one have heard. No one is like, oh, wow, that was a really insightful answer from Ricky on why he's not putting very good right now. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they've given those. They know those. Like, they've heard those. All the things that get the best reactions are the stories and the things that people haven't heard before. So my goal going into all these shows is basically two things. One, this is how I gauge the show. is One, how much did we laugh? Because I feel like if we're having a good time, people listening are having a good time. Right. And two, how much new information did we get that maybe hadn't been told before? Those are kind of the two ways that I, and I think the perfect mix or the perfect show is a mix of those two. Um, you get some laughing, you get some joking, seeing the guy's personality and you get some things you've never heard before. So like, you know, we're, we're lucky that we know these guys that I think they open up to us in ways that they wouldn't with a quote unquote, like member of the media. You know what I mean? Right, like someone right. from the golf channel or whatever. We're going to get more just because we we're they're comfortable with us. They know we're not going to ask like the gotcha questions or something yep. like that. But also we try to go places with them that we know they'll enjoy talking about and that are fun. And they haven't talked about 8 million times. You launched uh, subpar. I believe you're around February 11th or 12th was your first episode with John Rom. So you're recently celebrating a one year anniversary of that. Yes. Call. I mean, how, wow. how, I mean, looking back, I mean, there's, there's people that listen and they they think that, uh, not to say this is a, uh, it's not rocket science, but still running a podcast, um, what do you know now that you didn't know then? Man, that's a good question. Not a lot. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> as, as sad as it is. I mean, I guess the, the challenge with these things is doing something that's different, doing something that's unique, right? We talked about this before we started recording today. There's so many podcasts out there in the world, probably tens of thousands. There's a ton of golf ones. How do you make yours unique to where this, this warrants somebody's attention for an hour, right? Because there are infinite, infinite uh, options available for the, for the listeners, right? They can, if you like something, you can go listen to it on a podcast. So right. how do you make yours different? So I think just trying to um, have a show that like play the coolest, I guess the biggest success that I think we've had is, like I said, we're, we, we've known almost everybody that we've gotten on in some capacity, right? Which is fortunate. But now we're starting to get, we're starting to have players that I don't know or that I'm not friends with, that I didn't grow up with or have no relationship whatsoever, like reaching out and saying, hey, man, I'd love to come on the show. Hey, dude, I just listened to your show with this guy. That was awesome. When can I would love to come on and things like that. That's the biggest, yeah. um, I guess, gauge of success in my eyes. And, the, and then the guys that we've had on were like, dude, I want to like, when can I come back? I'll come back whenever you want. You know what I mean? Things like, like that's the cool thing is like we don't want to make this an obligation for the guests. You know what I mean? They're not getting paid. They're not, you know, getting any, like, yeah, sure. They get some like pub or whatever, I guess, um, to whatever extent, but like they're doing us kind of a favor to going on. So like, we just want to try to make it fun. And, uh, I guess I've just learned over the year, like we just, the, the, the challenge becomes not getting stuck in the mud and being mundane and doing the same thing. So we're, we're talking about ways of like tweaking the shows, doing some different things with the interviews, the E9, you know, the things we do at the end of the show, yeah. all that, and just keeping it fresh and keeping our, our, our listeners attention so that we don't just become uh, like, I guess, stale going forward. Yours also has a video piece uh, to it. And, you know, I was watching a, a clip from one of them. I can't remember which episode, but I, I saw, I saw your co-host Colt Nost looking down at a sheet of paper. Now, was that like a takeout menu, or did he actually like? <laughs> does he take notes? I mean, what's what's kind of his? Let's throw him under the bus a little bit, or prop him up a little bit. Either way, um, what's what's the dynamic? How long? You know, talk about you guys finding your workflow and finding, I guess, your flow in in these interviews. How do you two kind of put your minds together? Because I, I don't have a co-host; I kind of do it solo. But how do you two kind of? play off each other and how much do you want to kill them sometimes <laughs> <laughs> oh man well we were lucky when we started the podcast because we had um we had gotten a, a show on sirius xm which at the time when we first started was only one hour a week right one and one day one hour a week which is not a lot to do but it was a huge opportunity for us so we we jammed those shows with guests most of the time, right? We were like, all right, we'll get Jordan. Like our first show on that on Sirius was with Jordan Speaks, right? right? He came on and joined us for 30 minutes, which is as a big interview to get for your first show. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then we kept filling it, kept filling it, kept doing it the same way. So by the time uh, that year ended, they, they, went at, they offered us a daily show for two hours a day, which is a big jump in, in one year. So we were thrilled with that. But we were lucky that we, you know, we had done radio together before to kind of knock the rust off that by the time we got to the podcast, it was like, we've done this before. Sure. These are in person and, our, and on the radio, clearly they're over the phone, but we had, we had been through it before and we kind of knew that dynamic. Like, all right, I feel like Colt's going to chime in here and say something about this. Like, you know, you learn not to talk over each other and, and not interrupt and things like that. And it's just one of those things that with time becomes way more natural when you first start doing it. Um, it can be a little rigid and things like that. So we were lucky that we had that radio show starting off as kind of like a, a dry run that when we got to the podcast, like we had done this before, you know? Well, you also have a producer on your podcast, Mark Hannon. If I had to call Mark Hannon and say, what is one thing that these two knuckleheads do that drive you crazy? How you got to at least have some dirt on Hannon or something, right? Probably constantly texting him fit 20 minutes before the show to make sure we have enough booze. <laughs> he oh he stocks our booze and we always try to have the drink that our guests likes to drink like some guys like tequila some guys sure. like vodka some guys like this or that and obviously colt and i have what we like and we so we we have that there at the studio but then sometimes you know it tends to run out and yes, we'll be like does. oh shit i don't know do we have any booze and he'll have to race to the store and get back before the guest gets there and get it all uh cooked up and things like that but i think for the like we're pretty low maintenance colt and i like we we get all the guests ourselves we do all the um you know all the content ourselves more or less. And we don't do a lot, I, even though it's recorded and we could stop and be like, Oh, I hated that take. I think we're just so used to doing radio where it's live that we just go. And yeah. you know, maybe that's dumb. Maybe it's sometimes we're like, Oh, that was shit. We should probably start over and re-record that. But we really don't. It's just all like, I can only think of a handful of times where we've ever even stopped saying something and been like, all right, start that over, you know? Um, so we're pretty, um, 
low maintenance, I feel, in that regard. But it's easy to be low maintenance when you got a producer that they do all the editing. I mean, if they if our producer, Mark, and our video guy, Zach, were gone, like, Colt and I wouldn't even know how to turn the computer on, turn the <laughs> camera on, get it to record. We have no idea how to actually put it up on iTunes or do any of that, you know, stuff that goes along with it. Like, we know zero about the tech. So, uh, thank God we have those guys or else we'd be well, doomed. Well played. I'm sure Mark is listening to this saying, thank God they said that. So... <laughs> that's uh, yeah i can't throw my boy under the bus no that's awesome um what so so we're talking i feel like we're nerding out on podcast talk but that's okay um so earth shattering secret here as you said not everything in the final episode uh or not everything from the interview arrives into the final episode things do get you know cl- uh, clipped out cut out every once in a while you know i'm i'm protecting amateurs and collegiate kids that i'm talking to i don't want you know the amateurs to have their wives upset with them or, or the kids you know getting their coaches upset with them but you're speaking with more you know pros than than anything and they have you know sponsors that they have to kind of keep happy i don't want you to mention names or if you feel like mentioning names go ahead but is there <laughs> is there a story that you can share that's on the cutting room floor somewhere of the subpar set that couldn't get added but damn it you really wish it could have yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few of those. So we can, same as you, we give all of our guests final cuts. So yeah. if we get, you know, if we're getting in there, and we're having a few pops, and things get going, and they tell a story, and then at the end of the show, they're like, "Damn, what was I thinking?" <laughs> telling that we we take it out, and it's only happened on a, on a couple of occasions. So no names, no nothing. I'll protect everybody. Right, but right, there right. was a, there's a story about um, a certain player's wife on tour at the time, and. Um, an allegation with another tour player who was playing at the time that uh, was told. And I was kind of, as it was being told, my jaw was dry. I was like, there's no way <laughs> that this is going to make it into the show, but this story is unbelievable. But, but you just got to like, be cool. This, you just got to be cool. Just this is it. a joke. And it's probably not the story that a lot of people like might think of when they hear me, you know, explain that as vague yeah. as I did. There might be one that comes to mind, but it's not that one. It's a different one. And okay. I was just, my, my jaw was on the table. Like, Holy shit. I can't believe this dude's talking about this. And then there was another one where a player who had moved brands from one club to the next, and it wasn't this year. It happened in the past. So there's no like, digging right. back and finding out who it is basically just like unloaded on his previous sponsor and the club company and a bunch of names of guys that he felt did him wrong and all this stuff and just went on like a five minute tirade that was clearly <laughs> pent up and um <laughs> at the end of that he was like you know what maybe we uh maybe we scrap that and i was like yeah i think that's probably a good call i don't know i don't know what you're gonna gain out of that so only a few times has it and then we've had some stories that i was like oh he's gonna want that cut uh, Sean O'Hare. I don't know if you've listened to this story, but since it's out there, Sean clearly doesn't care that it's out there. Um, Sean O'Hare in Florida in a hotel room where he may have gotten a little over aggressive with his self pleasuring the night before around and ended up like hyperextending his knee in the hotel shower and to the point where he had to like withdraw from the tournament. Oh my God. <laughs> we, we knew this story. I'd known this story. Sean's a close friend. So we kind of just floated it out there. It was going to, some question like kind of, beating around the bush and he uh-huh. was going to maybe just acknowledge it like oh yeah that was a bad and we were going to keep it moving and we started laughing and then sean was like well you want me to tell the story and we're like shit yeah we want if you're willing to tell it then tell it i had i did not expect sean to tell that story when he did it and he he texted me like a few weeks after it, it came out he's like uh there's no fans at these tournaments and i'm having more people yell at me about the shower in florida than i ever have in my life <laughs> it'll be like a random volunteer of like sean look out for the look out for the shower this week or whatever so did you, that story that story is one of the all-timers and did you really just preface that as beating around the bush i mean did you really yeah there you, you go a really, little play on words did you really do that um oh beating all the way around Be, the bush uh, aggressively go. oh my gosh um <laughs> I actually have not listened to that one, but I will definitely. Dude, you got it. even if you don't want to listen to the whole thing. That interview is really good because he gets into his young, his story is crazy. Oh you yeah, know, with his upbringing with his dad yeah, and stuff. Exactly. So that was a great combination of serious and then a lot of funny. But that 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 um, him answering that question is in the E nine at the end. If you want to go back and listen to it, oh, it's, no, I... it's an, an incredible that he was willing to to share it. Sean doesn't give. Damn, so I'm, I'm sure that's he's gonna, why I'm sure he's gonna, such a beauty. I'm sure he's going to appreciate that it's being shared here. So I mean, it's just increasing the the legend. Um, yeah, so, it's worth listening to. Uh, no, I definitely will. So one of the things that you have, which which uh, one perk that you have is you actually get to play some casual, like off the clock rounds of golf with some of these guys. Uh, I know you played down here in Florida, and you know I try and give something to the listeners as a takeaway that can help with their game, but. You know, one thing that I guess I've struggled with is, and perhaps a lot of amateurs do is that, you know, 
getting the most out of their game during a casual round. You know, when you have a couple beers going, or it's you know, it's not a tournament, and there's yeah, you can put a couple bucks on the line, but uh, you know, at the most part, it's nothing you can't afford to lose. Are there any pros that you've played with? Any like high level pros you've played with that? They seem to basically have it turned on at all times, whether it's on TV or yeah. in a casual round. And then conversely, guys that look kind of human when it's not a PJ Tour event. Well, there's a lot of those guys that you see coming back from a T3 at whatever tournament. You come back and play with them and you beat them. And you're like, I'm like, what the hell? Right. This, this can't be the same guy. But to answer your first question, is there somebody that always has it turned on? I mean, that answer... That's the easiest answer for me all time, and it's John Rom. Uh, so John's up here. We're members at the same club. Um, I've gotten to know John really, really well over the last handful of years. Seen him come from this kid out of ASU that guys around Scottsdale would have, you know, have heard of, but not not on like the professional state. You know what I mean? Not like a global name like he is now. But that guy, I don't care what you're playing for, five bucks, fifty bucks, whatever. That there's no. He is exactly how you would see him this week at the Players Championship. Like he is, he gets a bad shot, it pisses him off. He misses a putt, it pisses him off. Like he, there's no like, oh, who gives a shit? You know, this this round doesn't matter. There's not. I mean, one of the last times I played with him, we were playing this game, uh, and John was down like three hundred bucks. Let's call it okay. Now sure. we're standing on the seventeenth tee on the lower golf course. It's like a hunt. It's a short little par three with a kind of a quirky green. It's a, it's a fun little hole. Bunkers on the right. It's about 155, 60 yards. Probably a, it's like a nine or eight for me. So it's probably a nine or a wedge even for John. And, um, he was, he was down the most in the group at the time down 300 and he fans this nine iron or wedge or whatever out to the right. And it plugs in the bunker and he's freaking out and all this stuff. And I was like, and I love to like fire John up when we're playing. Cause the more you egg him on, the more he'll go. You know what I mean? Right. It's fun to push his buttons. And I was like, dude, relax. You make 200,000 every single week. You tee it up, but like, you're going to be okay. If you lose 300, he's like 200,000. I make way more than 200,000 a week. <laughs> like, but he said it so matter of factly. I was like, see dude, that's great. It does, who gives a shit? Like, it doesn't matter what, but it, it, there's no talking him down and all this stuff. So he gets up there, his ball's plugged. He has no shot. He hits this, you know, plug lie, rolls over the green down this little slope. I mean, it's completely dead. And he takes his lob wedge and just snaps it over his knee right there over, you know, like, and I was like, you're probably going to need that next week. He's like, oh, I get this. I get another one tomorrow. It doesn't matter. But like, that, that's what I'm saying. Like he was going to end up losing three, $400 on the day, which is pennies right. for him. But there's no turning off that competitive fire for him. That's just the way he is. And he's always going to be like that. But it's kind of cool to see too, because you know, he cares, you know, like he, he ain't going out there and not trying yeah, no, I, I, I think that's perfect. That's exactly, I think that's how it should be. And I would love to hear, I would love to see more pros like that as well. Um, I, I've just always been curious how they turn it on in casual rounds when after dealing with the pressure of being on the PGA Tour, um, I, I would think those casual rounds would have to be incredibly fascinating. Oh, yeah. And there's some guys that are the complete opposite. Like when we go out there, like pros that I might, to this day still beat more than 50% of the time because they don't give a damn about it. You know what I mean? Right. They're just out there to have fun and kick it around and all that. John ain't that guy. <laughs> he is far from that guy. I don't think that's even programmed into his DNA to not try. That's why I think he's going to like, clearly he's going to have a monster career, but like he, he wants those big moments. He wants the lights. He wants the stage and not a lot. I don't know. You can say that about a lot of guys. A lot of guys are totally content with, contending a couple of times a year, stacking some top tens, making a million seven and keeping their, you know what I mean? And having a great life. John wants to be legendary. And I think he's headed that way. I'm glad you mentioned that because that last part about just to get the one seven and having the life. I, I think that's one thing that people maybe don't understand about the PGA tour. There are a lot of guys out there that it is just about the comfortable paycheck. They're not chasing glory. They're not chasing, re, uh, you know, majors. They're not chasing legacy. It is strictly a job, and they want to be comfortable in. They, they they're just looking for comfort. They're looking to make money and make, and it's a job for them. Mm-hmm. I think, especially as guys get older too. I think every young guy coming on the PJ Tour has aspirations to yeah be a number one in the world, winning major championships, being on the cover of all the magazines, doing all that. And I think as guys get out there and, and see how tough it is, and realize how how nice it is just to keep your card and play for another year and have some security and make money that they just, you, you kind of gravitate towards what you're comfortable with. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, guys that are that guy, 
might be content, like I said, with contending once or twice a year, having a couple big finishes, making some money, and but being able to operate completely under the radar. And guess what? If they go out and miss three cuts in a row, no one's writing articles about yeah. them. No one's calling them for a quote. No one's asking them, hey, why are you sucking right now? You know what I mean? Like yeah. Jordan Spieth and like Ricky Fowler and all these guys have to – Tony Finau when he finishes runner-up again and he's got to answer the same – you know what I mean? Yeah. The spotlight's on those guys. And sure, with that, you know, comes a lot of money and a lot of endorsement deals and things like that. But that's not for everybody. A lot of guys will be out there, yeah, dude, I'll take you, – you make me finish 80th on the money list for the next 10 years and I am happy as a clam <laughs> and see you later. And never win a golf tournament. I think there's a ton of guys. They would sign that contract right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's happening with Finau is like there's no – and there's no way out of that except for no. – Well, and the thing, too, Seven. is except for winning, and then you got to win again because, you know, it's almost like that's that's not going to be enough. Like he has to win a major to get some of the stink off that the media has put on him. Like, yeah, and like, it's one of those – I think it perpetuates itself, too. Oh, yeah. The more you're asked about it, the more it's brought up, the more you – inevitably are going to like think about that every time he's in contention and he's had a few that have gotten away from him for sure that i think we've all expected him to win a ton more he's also run up against some weird final rounds where guys have done some crazy shit against him xander shoffle did it overseas just thomas has done it he's he's his actual sunday scoring average is better than you would think for a guy that you know has the reputation of, of not being able to close he rarely pisses a tournament away he just gets beat yeah and there's a difference yeah it's the same thing like and and like getting back to Spieth, like his 2015 was just so incredible that now where do you, you know, where do you go from there? Like, I'm sure yeah. that people around him would have to be saying, look, dude, it's not going to be like this every single year. And with him and his, uh, you know, just his, the attraction that he brings, yeah. what's going on with him with the attention that he gets from the media, that was bound to happen unless you keep that career going the way you do every single year. And it's just not going to happen. Which is, which is not possible unless no, you're Tiger gonna, Woods. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, I think all the, all the players like understand this, you know what I mean? Like sure. that's not realistic to think that you're going to sustain. He almost won the freaking grand slam, you know, right. as a 21 or two or whatever age he was, 22 year old. Like you're not going to do that every year, but now, he set the bar so high. What are you going to do to go over that? Everything you do is going to be below that bar that you set for yourself. Like the expectations are just unrealistic. And that's why, like when he hits a bad stretch of golf, it's the number one story in the, you know what I mean? Jordan Spieth, what's wrong with him? Blah, 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 all the stuff. And it's like, not everybody wants that, you know, but that's the position he put himself in. When you come out that, that quick and that good, like he did people like immediately just, scale that out for the next 15 years and say, okay, he's going to do this every year. And as soon as you stop doing it, the questions start coming. And, uh, you know, so I guess heavy is the head that wears the crown sort of deal. Yeah. Well, you, um, I am going to let you get out of here before, uh, now you mentioned E9, which is the emergency nine. That's the way you end your episodes. And back when I started mine, I kind of got away from it, but I actually had a segment at the back at the end of my episode at the back of the range called the quick bucket. So I thought, there you go. I thought for you, I'd bring it back just in a small, I don't have nine of them, but a, a small quick bucket. So I'll bring, I'll give you these to get you out on, um, dream, dream guest for subpar alive or dead. I'll give you two. Uh, I want Anthony Kim really, really bad. We've actually spoken with Anthony. He is not ready to come out of hiding yet, but I think we have it on good authority that if and when he does, I think we're going to get first crack at him. I think the whole golf world, he's just become like a, he's like a, you know, he's like Sasquatch or something. You hear stories about him and sightings of him, but no one can really substantiate him. And there's all these rumors going around. I think AK would be the best. And if you want to get outside the world of golf, I'll give you two other ones. I want Larry David and I want Jamie Foxx. Those are just two of my favorite entertainers um, of all time, and they're great storytellers, and I think they'd be a blast. So that's outside the world of golf. Love those. Love the, all three. Yeah, the AK is uh, absolutely. Those are those are great. Yeah, he's one A for golf, and there ain't a one B. Yeah, I would say I would say that's correct. So your your nickname. I mean, I've been calling you Drew the whole time, but you probably don't get that. Probably, it is weird. You don't get called yeah. that. You probably get called. Uh, I only like maybe the doctor's office or the DM, DMV or something. But your nickname is Sleaze. For those that don't know the story, basically you received this from one of your friends, Derek Tolan. I mean, basically making garbage par saves that were mm-hmm. sleazy. And actually, that describes my my game. My I've I've heard shenanigans and smoke and mirrors incorporated when people talk about my golf game. So um, you've played a lot of golf with your guests. Is there anyone that you could remotely put into that category of, of sleaze? Oh, 
who, just with, with who is sleazy that you can just kind of throw under the bus that, that you know if they get an honorable mention uh a sleaze award like who who would be somewhat sleazy well this might surprise you but yeah i got that nickname from getting up and down from everywhere after hitting it like complete garbage for a period of time there um and just scoring way better than i should have this might surprise you and i'm no way putting this person's ball striking in the same category as mine, but I'm more, this is more of a compliment to their short game. Uh, and I'm, I hate to use them again, but John Rom, his, his short game around the green, he gets up and down, he'll miss a part, go for a part five and two, blow it in the desert behind a bush in the rocks, open up a 60, hit this flop shot that like spins, stops like a bean bag. He can do, he's got whatever that Spanish blood is that they seem to be blessed with over there. Like Seve had it, you know, Sergio's had it at times, not so much with the putter, but around the greens. But Rom definitely has this crazy, like, innate ability to hit some weird shots around the green. And he can just do things like he'll go into a bunker. He can hit, like, these flop shots with a four-iron where he's basically, like, squatting down on his knees and he takes his full swing and pops it up with a four-iron. He's got crazy hands. So um, he hits it a lot better than I do. I don't think he's ever <laughs> missing as many greens as I did. But when he does miss, I fully expect it to, to be somewhere kicking his short games is – is an underappreciated aspect of his game. Nice. Excellent. Um, next one is Colt Nost it has no shame in lobbying for a U.S. Walker Cup captaincy. He has done it on your podcast. If the USGA gives it to him, and I would just like you to recognize how serious I said that, if the USGA, right. because I don't believe any of that, but um, you can't be the vice captain because you're going to be covering it. You're going to be doing media, but who would be a good second in command to Captain <laughs> Captain Colt Nost? Oh, that's a good question. There, let me. Th- you know, it'd be a great dynamic because they would just bark at each other the entire time and talk shit to one another. And it might it might unify the troops like a good cop bad cop situation. Charlie Hoffman, the Seagull. Uh, every time we have him on the radio or or podcast or whatever, like when we're off air, like the back and forth, they're like two little schoolgirls you know just bickering it's all these little shots and jabs and all this Love sort of it. stuff so that would be a good team dynamic if, if, if people didn't rally around colt they'd rally around charlie if they didn't like charlie they'd rally around colt they between the two of them they'd have all the boxes checked that would be uh that sounds like a good one that's a good call. vice captain seagull has a nice ring vice play. captain seagull good lord mm-hmm. <laughs> last one you have one question for tiger woods on air on record oh and he, shit and he has to answer it none of none of i mean he is going to answer this question one question on air on record what is it uh i need a play-by-play of the fire hydrant night what really happened yep. not what we've read about and all that i'd like just give me a blow by blow minute by minute everything that i think everyone would want to know that wouldn't they yeah um I mean, that's a question we'll never get the answer to. Uh, I'm pretty positive. But, um, yeah, I think that 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 night and like a whole lot of his life really kind of still has a lot of mystery behind it. We don't really know exactly what happened. There's been some, you know, accounts and things like that, but um, pretty private dude. So that would that would be one that I would uh, I would like to know what went down that night. I feel bad not asking like an actual golf question, though, to arguably the greatest golfer to ever play the game. Yeah. But that's the way, that's the kind of dude I am. That's the shitty question. <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, these were all great topics that we discussed. Um, I don't know what people were expecting from this episode. We just kind of talked shop, so to speak. But I think people enjoy uh, listening to, to your journey, what you try and do on your podcast. And uh, I hope we could do it again. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Absolutely, man. I'm here whenever you need and, and continue to do the, the good work that you're doing with all the amateur golfers and things like that. If you ever need me to chime in, I'm happy to do so. And uh, we can we can just ramble like we do. You got your status back, too. You're an amateur golfer now. I'm full am as full deserve. It took a long time. I think they made me sit the pine. I think that they sat me during my amateur prime during my, uh, you know, my period where I took to get reinstated. Um, but, uh, there'll be a time where, where the hunger comes back and, uh, crawls back inside me and I'll, I might start making a move at maybe in the mid am or something like that. So we'll see. There's, there's always room. Could you imagine sleaze that coming down Magnolia lane? Oh my God. Uh, People would, they wouldn't even know what to do at Augusta. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, there, there have been us mid ams on this us mid am champions on this podcast. There's always room for us mid am champions. Yeah. Um, tell Stewie, tell Stewie next time you talk to him, I'm coming for his ass at a, at a date to be determined. Stewie listens to this podcast. You could say Perfect. whatever he listens to this. He will text me after this I know comes. Stewie. 
Yeah, Stewie, there's a direct message coming from the sleeves. Get your get your dubs while you can, because once I once the fire burns deep within me again, I'm coming for that ass. <laughs> I don't know when that'll be, by the way. It might be at the senior amateur, actually. Now that I think of it. <laughs> what uh, I forgot to ask you, final one. Since we're talking about Magnolia Lane, what what uh, what is the one thing you would lift out of uh, out of the crow's nest if you got to stay there? Oh God, what do they got in there? I'm coming out of there with everything. Gotcha. I don't know. Can I? Can I sneak out of there with the bed? I mean, I don't know. Think of all the greatness that's been up there. But they got—I'll I'll treat it just like I would a hotel. Just steal everything that ain't bolted down. One of, one of my best uh, stories I was ever told about the um, about the crow's nest is by uh, Scott Harvey, who uh, won the uh, 2014 U.S. Mid-Am, I believe, and he's up there in the crow's nest with Corey Connors, and he's basically saying how you know it's at night. You know, obviously it goes from thousands of people to nothing. And you're just up there, like in this dorm, weird ass dorm room, at one of the most famous golf clubs in the world, and they don't know what to do. So he goes down and you know calls down to someone in the in the, in the clubhouse, and they bring they bring up a case of Coors Light, and they just start drinking Coors Light in the crow's nest. I love that. What better place to just slam a couple brews with your boys than in the crow's nest as you're getting ready to play the USAM? I'll give you one last little teaser here, like I did with the O'Hare story. Do it. You want some good crow's nest story? Go listen to Subpar with Ricky Barnes. I think it's in the body of the interview. It's not during the E9. The USAM champ, when he went there and he was paired with Tiger the first two days and beat him, all that, he has some some escapades that went on. So There's another story that I was kind of like, are you incriminating yourself right now with Augusta National? Like, I feel like they're gonna, someone's going to hear this and they might be a little bit pissed off. But it involves sneaking off and sneaking back onto property and some other things. That's a really good, some really good stories. Love it. I'll go listen to that. So will everyone else. Uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. You got him, my man. Appreciate you. And there you have it. Special thanks to the Sleaze, Drew Stoltz, for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Lots of new episodes coming your way. And remember, every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range. <laughs>